you are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk a crazy-ass conspiracy theory. We're going to talk All-Star Games because we've got the NBA All-Star Game and the NFL, quote, All-Star Game, which is the Pro Bowl, coming up. They're within about three weeks of each other, or maybe a month of each other, and things are changing up for both of those games, and we'll talk about those. We're going to talk about quarterback moves this offseason. This is going to be one of the more volatile quarterback moves in the offseason for this upcoming offseason, for sure, and maybe touch on a little college basketball to end it. And we will get to that momentarily. So I just want to start out and say this. There is a conspiracy theory going around, and I'm just going to read you what one of the people who tweeted about it is, and then just kind of leave it at that. Anti-vaxxers are convinced that DeMar Hamlin is being hidden away by Pfizer and most believe that recent public appearances by him are an actual body double. They're demanding that he personally reassure them with a video that he's not being played by an actor. Okay. All right, let's move on. (laughs) It's not even worth a response. Dumbasses. Anyway, okay. There is something else going on that we remember if the Bills would have beaten the Bengals this past Sunday, the AFC Championship game would have been played at a neutral site. It would have been played in Atlanta between the Chiefs and the Bills because of the DeMar Hamlin injury, and that game got canceled. So the Bills and Bengals only played 16 games, and so they laid it out like, okay, well, if they happen to meet up in the AFC Championship, to be fair, Kansas City shouldn't get the home game because if the Bills would have beaten the Bengals on that Monday night game, they would have had the best record in the AFC and they would have been hosting it. But since the game wasn't completed, we got to go to a neutral field. Got it. So that is now bringing out some talk amongst NFL ranks that the NFL is considering actually going to neutral fields for both conference championship games going forward. Basically, the college football model. The college football semifinals are played on neutral field. The championship game is being played on neutral field. The NFL has only only played their championship game, the Super Bowl, on a neutral field. They don't do it for any game before that. But now they're thinking it might be a possibility because when they started promoting a possible Chiefs-Bills game in Atlanta, they announced... The first day the tickets went on sale, they sold 50,000 tickets, which fired up the Bengals. They've made no bones about the fact that they were not pleased that the NFL was touting a possible Kansas City Bills AFC championship when the Bills hadn't even played the Bengals yet. So way to go, NFL. Way to give the Bengals some bulletin board fodder, and they certainly used it. Yeah, who knows how much of an effect that had on the game. But as a player, yeah, they felt slighted that the NFL was promoting a possible Chiefs-Bills AFC Championship in Atlanta, selling 50,000 tickets when it hadn't even been finalized because the Bills hadn't played the Bengals yet. So I'm thinking about this. I'm like, is this a good idea? 
And the problem with this is I don't see what the benefit now is to be the number one seed. Because right now you have seven teams that make the playoffs in each conference. The one seed gets a bye, you know, two plays seven, three plays six, and four plays five. So in the next round, which is the divisional round, the games we saw this past Sunday, the one seed who didn't play in the wild card round, the one seed was the Chiefs in the AFC and the Eagles in the NFC. They got their home games. They both won. Okay. Under this new rule, being the one seed gets you one home game in the playoffs, and then you go straight to a neutral field. I don't see how this benefits anybody. Now, it doesn't matter what I think. It frankly doesn't matter what the fans think. Because if the NFL can find a way to capitalize and make money, I I, I think that they don't care what anybody else thinks about it. But if you look at it as a fan, taking away a possible home game for a one seed, if they happen to win their divisional game, that AFC championship or NFC championship game is now taken out of their stadium. They have to go to a neutral field. It's like the NFL, it's too much of a good thing. They know they dominate television. They know whatever they do, their fans are going to watch. The numbers bear it out. 75 to 80 of the most watched television programs in a given year are NFL football games. It's like it's king. You can't argue with it. The numbers and the television revenue speaks for itself. However, I don't know if this is a good idea. Now, it doesn't mean it's being implemented next year. It doesn't mean it's being implemented the year after. It's being discussed. But looking at it from the outside, I don't think this is a good idea. You don't need to go to a neutral field. Why? Yes, you would definitely sell it out, but you would sell out the home game of the team that gets the game. So why would you want to go to a neutral field? And considering you would have to determine what that field is before the playoffs start every year, what if that neutral field isn't anywhere close to the two teams that end up playing in that game? They were able to do it for Kansas City Buffalo because, you know, and not not that Atlanta is far, but it's not like they had to travel west and go, you know, somewhere and, and they put it in SoFi Stadium in L.A. You know, obviously Atlanta is closer to KC than it is Buffalo, but they clearly had no problem selling tickets. 50,000 were sold first day the tickets went up. I just don't think it's a good idea. I don't see what who it benefits, why, what's this, why would any team really fight? Yes, you say, well, you could still fight for the number one seed because you'd be the only team that gets a week off. Okay. But still, I don't think that's enough of a benefit. Because that team that got a week off, all they have to do is win one home game to host the AFC or NFC championship. And under this new rule, they wouldn't. They'd win that divisional game and go back on the road and go to a neutral site. I just don't see it. I hope the NFL doesn't do this, but it is being discussed. So it's almost like if it's being discussed, it's probably going to happen within the next probably five years. And it's just that's just weird. I don't see why you would do that and penalize the team that had the best record during the regular season in each conference. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, how about the Pro Bowl? You've you've known, and we know that the Pro Bowl sucks, and it has sucked for years. 
And I think this is a, a time where, I mean, it's, it, everybody complains every year. The Pro Bowl is terrible. These guys don't even try. Basically, it became two-hand touch in pads because these guys don't want to tackle. They don't want to go all out. And it makes sense. Why would you for a game that means absolutely nothing? So as we know, last year after the Pro Bowl, I don't know when it was officially announced, but we knew that this year's Pro Bowl was going to be way different. It's going to be a flag football game. It's not going to be pads or whatever, but they're going to make a whole weekend out of it. And the Pro Bowl is in Vegas. And so on February 2nd, there's going to be five events that take place at the headquarters uh, for the Raiders. And it's going to be a dodgeball tournament, a three-part elimination contest called the Lightning Round, a golf ball longest drive contest, a quarterback passing challenge, and the first round of a best catch game. And then they're also going to have a relay race through an obstacle course, a special teams competition, and a strength contest using first down chains. So to me, that's way more interesting than the actual game. And then that's like the the, the precursor to the big game on Sunday. I don't call it a big game. But now it's a seven-on-seven flag football game where – I think that's so much more interesting to watch than a tackle football game where none of these guys care or try. They're going to try in a flag football game because you are exposed. You have no pads on. We get to see, you know, who's the fastest. Hell, I think they should have a 100-yard dash. You know, these guys would absolutely – these guys' egos are through the roof. Of course they're going to want to compete in the 100-yard dash to show everybody, I'm the fastest in the NFL. No, I'm the fastest in the NFL. That doesn't seem to be one of the events that is taking place, but hell, watching NFL players do a long drive contest for golf and playing a dodgeball tournament and then the quarterback passing challenge, I always like those where you're like passing at moving targets or th- having to throw something into a big hoop 50 yards away. Those are interesting to me. That's fun. Nobody wants to watch the actual game. The game sucks. But now, 7-on-7 seven seven flag football Hey, count me in. Now, two weeks later is the NBA All-Star Game. This year it's in Salt Lake City on February 19th. And the NBA All-Star Game essentially is a scrimmage. These guys don't try until the fourth quarter. And it's basically just running up and down the court and throwing lobs to each other, shooting 30-foot three-pointers. Nobody tries until the fourth quarter when they started adopting the Elam ending, which is really cool. And for those of you who don't know about the Elam ending, just know that in probably five to ten years, this is how all NBA games are going to end. Maybe even we'll adopt it in college, but it's just it's to cut out all that clutter at the end of games with all the timeouts and whatnot. Um, the Elam ending is something that's adopted in, in smaller leagues and I think it's here to stay, and within five to ten years, this is going to be how the NBA does it. Right now, essentially what it is, is once you get to the either four-minute mark or six-minute mark of the fourth quarter, you add on a, a set number to basically the clock stops, you shut the clock off, and let's say the game is 100-100 with four minutes left in the game. And the Elam ending number for every game is going to be 14. So you add that on to the team that's winning. Well, if it happens to be tied, then it doesn't matter. That means that the target score is 114. And the team that gets to 114 first wins. There's no clock. 
and you can win on a free throw. If you're up, you know, if you're up 112, 110, and the team that has 110 fouls you in the act of shooting, you can win the game by making your two free throws. And it basically ensures there's basically always going to be a game-winning shot, which is actually kind of cool when you think about it. Now, there are some detractors to it that don't like it, and but I'm telling you, it's going to eliminate a lot of the end-of-game fouling. That's the biggest thing is they want to get away from the end-of-game fouling and end-of-games taking 10 minutes uh, of real time when there's only you know a minute and a half left on the clock. And with the Elam ending, that's the, what it is. Now, it's different. But for the uh, for what they do in the uh, All-Star game, if you haven't noticed the last couple of years, because most people don't even watch the NBA All-Star game, what they've done is started at the fourth quarter. So the whole fourth quarter is an Elam ending. Whoever's leading at the end of the third quarter, you add 24 points onto their score. And they chose 24 because of Kobe. Kobe was 24. This was a dedication to him. So if a team is up 90 to 80 at the end of the third quarter, in the NBA All-Star game, which was never the case because they're in the 170s by that time because nobody cares and plays any defense. But let's just say the game was 90 to 80 at the end of the third quarter. You add 24 points on to 90, which is 114. And so now it's 90 to 80. Say the West is up 90 to 80. Then the team that gets to 114 first wins the game. So the team that's down by 10, you know, they have a little bit of ground to make up. But you know basically what it is. There's no clock, and that's the that's the the crazy thing about it. So these guys are pros. I mean, I, unless the both teams just go ice cold, you're gonna have a point in the game where it's just like it's gonna go a lot quicker. Now, when they're thinking of adopting this for the actual NBA games, like I said, they're not gonna wipe out the whole fourth quarter and make it a whole Elam ending. Oh, by the way, Elam is named after the guy who invented it. His name was like Doctor Elam. I forget his first name, but um. This is something I think they said either at the six-minute mark or the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter. And then the goal, I think, was to add on, I don't even know what that number was. I want to say 12 points, maybe, maybe 14. Shit, maybe it's 10. I don't even remember. But that that's what it would be if the NBA did adopt this. They would not wipe out the whole fourth quarter. That's just for the NBA All-Star game. And 24 points in a four. I mean, that fourth quarter is really short in the NBA All-Star game because even though these guys start trying to score 24 points in an All-Star game doesn't take if you had a running clock in the NBA All-Star game you know it's 12 minute quarters no not even close to that so um anyway I didn't wasn't I wasn't going to talk about the Elam ending and then I realized I got onto it because I forgot that the NBA All-Star game does it but they're doing something different this year as we know the last few years the captains have um pick the players like a week or two before the game and it's the leading vote getter in the west and the leading vote getter in the east right now lebron's leading in the west he's probably going to be the west captain again and um right now it's between Giannis and kevin durant to be the uh captain for the east but what they're going to do this is this will be the sixth year that the league has used the format in which the captains choose their teams however the captains are going to choose their team literally minutes before the game starts which I don't really know what that kind of does. It's not like, again, they don't try for three quarters anyway. I get they want to do something different, but it's basically going to be a live draft minutes before the game as opposed to a live draft a week or two before the game like they've done in the past where LeBron and whoever the other captain was goes on TNT and they pick the team. 
This is going to be done at the arena while everybody's dressed up and the game is minutes away from starting, and then you know what team you're on. Not really sure what that actually does uh, for the game itself, but they're trying to do something to spice up All-Star Weekend because All-Star Weekend in the NBA is kind of boring. You know, the two-ball thing and the obstacle course that the players don't try on, uh, the, the dunk contest we know has been horrible. Uh, the last good one was Zach Levine against Aaron Gordon. The three-point contest is really the only thing people are interested in anymore on All-Star Weekend. Sometimes I watch the celebrity basketball game on Friday afternoon. Uh, but, yeah, it is it is what it is. It's just I get it, it's for the fans, but when these guys don't try and it's not really a basketball game, it's like whatever. But I like the fact that they incorporated the Elam ending into the All-Star game because at least that makes them try in the fourth quarter and they try and keep it close and whatnot. And, yeah, they add 24 points to the leading team's score at the end of the third quarter and they go from there. But that's going to be – I don't know. i got to see how this plays out. But basically it's going to be a live televised pregame segment right before the game starts where LeBron and the other captain will pick the team. And then everyone be like, okay, you come over. It's almost like uh, schoolyard stuff. You come over here, you go over there. You come over here, you go over there. Here's our team. Let's go out and play. Interesting. I guess we just have to see how it works. And I just wanted to wrap up today with what's going on in the NFL with the quarterback movement because we're going to have some major quarterback movement this pe- this upcoming offseason. Now, let's start with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers still has to decide whether he's coming back to play. I will bet everything I own and then some that Aaron Rodgers plays football next year. You know why? Because he's owed $110 million the next two years. Do you honestly think he's walking away from that? Now, he might not play for the Packers if he decides, like, look, I want to move on. And even if he says to the Packers, trade me, it's not easy to trade a guy who's making $110 million over the next two years. Like, what What do you – if you're another team that wants Aaron Rodgers, what do you give up for a guy that's going to give you two years? Like, yes, he's great. He wasn't great this past year. It was actually one of his worst years ever. But it's so hard to gauge. If you're another team that wants Aaron Rodgers, who could certainly help your team, if you're, like, right there on the cusp, he could certainly help your team. But what are you willing to give up for a guy that you know is only going to give you two years at most? maybe three if he wants to play into his early 40s. That's a tough call. That's why it'd be so tough to trade him. But just know this. He's not walking away from $110 million that's owed to him over the next two years. He's playing. He can hem and haul all he wants and go smoke his ayahuasca somewhere, ayahuasca, whatever it's called. He's not He's not quitting football. He's coming back. It's just a matter of with who. So let's say he goes back to the Packers. We already know that Derek Carr of the Raiders says he's gone. I'm out. I don't want to be with the Raiders anymore. He's leaving. He could go to Tennessee. He could go to the Jets. He could possibly go to Tampa because Tom Brady, in all likelihood, is not coming back to the Bucks. He's going to choose somewhere else. He could go to the Jets. He could go. I mean, people are throwing the Niners out there. I don't see that. I know he's from the Bay Area, but they're throwing out Tom possibly going to Vegas. That would make the most sense, but he's got his kids on the East Coast, so who knows if he's if he's willing to do that. 
I don't think Tom is going to retire. I think he's going to play. But then you've got the situation in San Francisco. At the beginning of this year, Trey Lance was their quarterback after Jimmy Garoppolo took him to the NFC Championship the year before. They came into this year and said, yeah, Jimmy, we don't want you. You can be the backup. And Brock Purdy was third. Then Trey Lance is out for the year. So they have obviously put Jimmy G in there. He's winning games, and they're doing great with him. He goes down with an injury that's pretty much costing him the rest of the season. So they put Brock Purdy in there, and now he's 8-0 as a starter and has a chance to take them and become the first rookie ever to go to the Super Bowl. So what do you do next year? Let's just say the Niners decide, okay, Purdy, you're our guy. Well, shit, if he wins in the Super Bowl, he's definitely the starter next year. But what do you do with Trey Lance, who you traded up for and gave a lot away to get three years ago? You just make him the backup? Or to use him as trade bait to try and build your team elsewhere. Jimmy G's gone. He's probably going to be the quarterback of, again, possibly the Jets, Carolina. There's there's so much movement. That's going to be the biggest offseason story in the NFL is the quarterback movement. I think we're going to have at least six or seven, possibly eight new starting quarterbacks in the NFL on different teams next year. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. But we're not going to be able to get into that until you know Super Bowl is over and free agency starts. But... It's going. To, it's certainly going to be interesting, but the one thing I can tell you is Aaron Rodgers isn't retiring. He's not leaving $110 million on the table. Please. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts, like I say all the time. This certainly helps because it's a new podcast. It needs to get out there. Word of mouth. Tell your friends. Tell your mistresses. Tell whoever. Just let everybody know the Sports Daily is the place to be. Rate it five stars. Leave a good review. I'd really appreciate it. So I will be back yet again with another episode tomorrow. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.